Welcome to another edition of the Two Man Weave podcast. Uh, technically alongside Doug Haller, AZ Central Sports on Twitter, at Doug Haller. I'm Joe Yaler, host of The Drive on Fox Sports 910 Phoenix, on Twitter at Radio J-O-D-Y. I say technically because usually Doug is four feet from me, and when we record this podcast, that is not the case because I am not in Dayton, and Doug Haller, you are in Dayton, Ohio, are you not? I am. Hi, Jody. I am in Dayton, Ohio. I'm right now right outside the arena watching it snow. Wow. Uh, yeah, so it's uh, it's definitely February. Or I'm sorry, it's March in the Midwest. <laughs> I was not expecting it to be this cold. I knew it was going to be kind of cold, but I didn't expect for snow to be uh, falling from the sky. This is where if you've ever lived on the East Coast or Midwest or anywhere where it gets cold for a certain period of time, like when you have cold weather into March, it's sort of like when we have 100-degree weather into November. You're like, okay, I'm ready for spring. I'm ready for some warmth. <laughs> I saw a picture of Dayton. Somebody tweeted out a picture. I think it was Tim Ring, uh, a TV guy here, CBS locally, tweeted out a picture of Dayton where it's like this, you know, there, there's riverfront, there's skyscrapers. I'm like, my God, I didn't know Dayton looked like that. That's crazy. I don't know what I expected of Dayton, but it wasn't that. <laughs> what were you expecting? I, I, somewhere out in the cornfield, like Woodstock or something? I, I there's a basketball know. arena? I mean, I don't know. I, I had no idea that Dayton was this like bucolic little beautiful Midwest town that had a you know skyscrapers for crying out loud. I was blown away by that. Yeah, I grew up about uh, I don't know maybe thirty miles west of here. So okay. we came to we came and watched. I, I've I've watched many basketball games in uh, Dayton Arena where the first floor is unfolding. So yeah, it's uh, a lot of basketball tradition here. This is a this is a I mean that's why the NCAA tournament puts it here because it's such a, a basketball crazed city. I was to say it's it's the first four games are sort of permanently in place there in Dayton, aren't they? Yeah, I asked when the final four was in Phoenix last year. I asked the NCAA people if they were thinking about maybe moving it around, uh, and they said it's something that they you know have entertained and thought about, but they're really happy with the arrangement here. Uh, you know, the community supports it well. I mean, because think about it, you have you know, teams coming in here that there's no connection, you know, to the community here, but uh, it always draws well. So, you know, it's not, it's not a huge arena, but you know, it feels, you know, it, it's a decent size. So um, I think they're happy where it's at right now. I think you may have set some sort of record because you like Vegas, you were in Vegas for the PAC 12 tournament. Vegas to Dayton would require to me, like you need to be in a sensory deprivation room for 24 hours before you can transition <laughs> comfortably into Dayton. Like from Vegas to Dayton just seems like an awkward transition to make from one city to another. It was strange, Jody. I mean, I stayed, ASU obviously was eliminated on the first day on Wednesday, but I stayed and covered Arizona through uh, the duration of the tournament. You know, so I left Vegas on Sunday morning and got back in Arizona, and you know, and then the you know the selection show was on. What was it? Two o'clock. That selection show was awful, by the way. Um, I hope they never do it that way again. Um, how do you mess up the selection show? <laughs> by revealing the teams that are in the tournament alphabetical <laughs> order before you reveal the bracket, which is the dumbest yep. idea anyone's ever had. Yeah. So that happened, and then you know I went out to talk to Bobby Hurley. And the players, and then you know, just trying to arrange all the travel stuff. It, you know, it was it was a mess. It's, <laughs> Sunday is a blur, and then you wake up. I, yeah, I woke I woke up on Sunday in Vegas, slept in Arizona, and was in uh, <laughs> Ohio on Monday. So what a crazy three day stretch! Yeah, that is a crazy three day stretch. Well, let's talk about that selection Sunday real quick. Um, before we get into ASU and U of A's draw, so to speak, 
some just outright disrespect from the selection committee on the Pac-12. You've got U of A as a four seed, despite they're the regular season and Pac-12 tournament champion. Um, you've got a team in UCLA that's in the play-in game. You've got a team in ASU that's in the play-in game. USC, not in the field at all. Highest RPI team to ever not make it to the tournament. Um, their strength of schedule number was in the 30s. It, clearly, you basically, the NCAA has one Pac-12 team in the actual field and two in the play-in games. Yeah, to me, that's, that's stunning. Um, I, yeah, everyone knew that the Pac-12 was down this year. I don't think there's any, no one, anyone would argue that. But, you know, I talked to Jerry Palm, the CBS bracketologist, on, what was it, Friday, and, and talked to him about ASU's chances. And then we talked about Arizona. He thought at that time that if Arizona won in Vegas, that they could possibly, depending on what happened elsewhere around the country, that they could maybe jump to a two seed. Uh, but he thought for sure, you know, a three seed was where yeah. they would land. You know, for a team that won both the regular season and the conference tournament and yet played Texas A&M uh, during the non-conference season, which is a tournament team, you know, they didn't play their typical, you know, strong, you know, the, strong, the strongest non-conference schedule, but they tested themselves. <laughs> I thought that was kind of a, you know, kind of a slap. Uh, USC, I understand, uh, given, you know, when you look at what's their best non-conference win, I think they, they didn't have a win against tournament teams. But at the same time, if anyone just sat and watched right. USC, there's no doubt that's a tournament team. Um, you know, so, you know, they advanced to the, the Pac-12 tournament final. I, I just, that one's hard to understand. I, you know, I think the resume should say, should, should, I mean, I think they should go on the resume almost, you know, 90, 95% of the time. But sometimes I think there are teams that maybe, for whatever reason, they don't have that signature win. But they just you can just tell their, their NCAA tournament team. I thought that was USC this year. I thought the selection committee this year sort of fell victim to the same mentality that's so pervasive in college football. Where college football, we know it's like there's a hierarchy of conferences that no matter what the results on the field necessarily indicate, People fall back as if it were gospel that the SEC, and, and I know the track record, but I'm saying like no one, there's no room for interpretation in college football. There's just an entrenched hierarchy. And I thought the selection committee sort of fell victim to that similar mentality where I think when you start assigning subjective value to f Power Five conferences and weighing one significantly more than the other, I just think that's kind of dangerous. I think at a certain point, it's not that they're all created equal, but the fact that a second-place team in the regular season and a second-place team in a major conference tournament and it's the same team didn't get in, I, I, I just I think it's it's wrong. I really do. I, and I, Granted, I think ASU has a right to be in the field of 68. I don't think this is an either-or. Um, in fact, I believe the, the committee chair said that Syracuse was the final team that actually made the tournament. So ASU wasn't the absolute last team in, but... Uh, I do. I do think the Pac-12 got got a little unnecessarily slapped down. Well, yeah, and I think Andy Enfield, the USC coach, put it perfectly. He said basically that the tournament committee just pretty much, you know, neglected the conference season with, right. when it came to them. They just looked at the non-conference and just totally uh, didn't even really pay attention to the conference season. And you can't do that in a power conference. I don't. Right. I don't care. You know, going to I don't care if Colorado's a team, an NCAA tournament team or not. Winning in, in Boulder is tough. Um, winning on the road anywhere, winning, Oregon 
it's very difficult. Utah, very difficult. So I, you know, I agree with you. I mean, ASU was in the same position a few years ago, or well, it was a number of years ago now when they finished second in the, in the conference and didn't get in for pretty much the same reason. I just think if you finish second, if you get to, you know, 11, 12 wins in a power conference, you, need to, you really need to be looked at. Let's talk about ASU's matchup. They get in. Bobby Hurley. I thought it was cool, man. I thought the Bobby Hurley reaction, but then Danny Hurley's reaction after Rhode Island lost to Davidson. But the way he reacted was super cool. So I, I, I'm glad ASU's in. I really am. I think after watching this team uh, all year, and you and I have discussed it at length, that they're a good team. They lost their way and have lost their way for a while, but... Syracuse is an interesting matchup, Doug. I mean, they've struggled with the zone, and all Syracuse has is the zone and a tournament-tested head coach. This is a this is a tough matchup for ASU, I think. What do you think? Well, you know, I'll start with saying that, you know, Arizona State, I thought, just played terribly uh, against Colorado. Uh, and, and really, coming out of the, the, the Pac-12 tournament, Jody, I thought that I still thought they would get in. I thought they'd be in the first four. I thought that was the worst they could do entering Las Vegas. But after watching them against Colorado, all they had to do was win that game, and right. there were no no more questions asked, and they just did not <laughs> answer the bell. I mean, they were awful in the second half. I think they are where they are. Now, it is – Syracuse is beatable. Um, there's a reason they were the last team selected. Uh, but, you know, they play that 2-3 zone, <laughs> and it's it's not the, the zone that the ASU has played in the Pac-12 this year. Jim Beheim has made it part of his culture, and he recruits guys, very long guys, to play that zone. I mean, ASU's tomorrow going to play two guards who are 6'5", six, 6'6". Six, six. That's going to be at the top of that zone. So in that aspect, it's, it's not a good matchup for them. The, the zone ranks, you know, they're de- defensively, they're you know among the country's best teams. The flip side is that they're terrible offensively. Right. I mean, right. they're just absolutely terrible. They can't shoot at all. So if Arizona State can find a way, you know, they haven't done it much throughout the course of, or course of the conference season, but if they can find a way, find some gaps in that zone, uh, you know, have some kick-out opportunities, then maybe they could put some points and put some pressure on Syracuse to score. Um, but, you know, it's, it's a difficult matchup for them, no doubt. I'm going to oversimplify this game, but I think it's, it, it may be this simple. If ASU knocks down their threes, there's no way Syracuse is going to keep up with them. I'm not saying ASU's got to score 90 points the way they were regularly in, in November and December, but if they shoot... 35%-ish from the three-point line, ASU, they're going to win this game. Like I think this game's going one of two ways. Either ASU's winning by double digits or Syracuse is winning an ugly, low-scoring game that's close. I think it's one of two ways, and I, I agree with you. They got 6'5 six, and 6'6 six, six guards at the top. Those two guys are going to tr- do their best to make life miserable for the guard play for ASU, but, I mean, I, I don't – Syracuse – just isn't as good as ASU. And I know there are people that are – I get it on Twitter all the time, Doug. Like, why do you still think ASU is a good basketball team? And I, I, I don't really have an explanation other than what my eyes and my brain tell me, which is this team is still capable, I believe, of of handling Syracuse and, and giving TCU a little bit of a run. Um, but there's no guarantees. I mean, I, I we, we'll talk about this with U of A, but – the theme of the podcast may as well be if, if flips, you know, switches are being flipped or not. Because can ASU really conceivably expect to just walk into a tournament atmosphere that they're not accustomed to, that they don't have a roster that's used to, and flip a switch and suddenly revert back to like it was two months ago? I, I mean, that's kind of hard to believe. Well, I think the only way they can do it is I really think, and and I asked the people, the Cody Justice and Trey Holder and Shannon Evans this today about. You know those last 
I don't know, a couple of weeks of the regular season, if they were starting to feel the pressure because everyone was starting to talk about here's a team that was ranked, you know, third in the country at one point, and here's a team that's not going to make the tournament. And they had to hear that. And when you hear that, you know, I don't think you can go out and play, you know, free, which is what they did when they, they played so well. So, you know, I just asked them if, if now that they're free of that, do they think maybe they could go out there and possibly, you know, play with the same confidence that they played with earlier. And they said, yeah, but that's really all they got at this point. That's the only card yeah. that they can play that now that they're in, that they can play like that. Um, you know, I don't know. I, I, I felt a little bit better. I thought they would they would maybe win a game and give Arizona a run Me in the too. quarterfinals of the Pac-12 tournament. When they played like they did against Colorado, <laughs> I thought, okay, maybe they're not getting it back together at all. So we'll, we'll see. I mean, I think the best thing Arizona State has going for them right now is just what you said is the draw isn't as bad as it could have been. So, I mean, Syracuse, yeah, that zone's going to give them problems, but you're right. If you get a lead on them, they're going to have trouble coming back. And then if you do win, you know, of all the six seats, TCU is not a bad place to uh, end up. It's not. And one of the things that, uh, you know, for a second, I, I know we're, we're objective professionals, but, like, I think it's really cool that Cody Justice and Trey Holder specifically get to experience the NCAA tournament. I don't know why, but for Cody Justice specifically, I just feel like that dude – um, in a lot of ways, has earned the right to at least taste the postseason. I, I don't think ASU is going to come out and lay an egg. I really don't. I, I, I got to think that that Cody and Trey Holder are going to sort of lead that charge. Shannon Evans, obviously, is senior, but I, I view him a little differently as a transfer. I just think it's kind of a cool story that those three, specifically though Holder and Justice, get to taste this NCAA tournament. Yeah, Cody's kind of the soul of the team right now. He he really is. And and really, of all the guys in Vegas, I thought he was the one who came out. I mean, I was watching him during warm-ups. I thought he was the loosest guy of all of them. Uh, so, yeah, it, it's it's easy to pull for a guy like that. I mean, keep in mind, he, he committed to ASU during some really dark times right. um, and stuck with it. I mean, he committed before, I think, his sophomore year, and usually when – People commit that early. I don't even pay much attention to it because I know it's going to change like five times before uh, they become a senior. But he's stuck with it. He's been through a lot. Uh, it would be nice to see him have, have – it's nice to see him get to the NCAA tournament. It would be nicer to see him have some success. Let me ask you this question. What do you think ASU has to do to kind of validate their season? Because we were talking in December and early January – that it was almost with ease this team could be a Sweet 16 team. And and from there, capable of doing damage. I mean, it, it was a conversation that we had multiple times, and then as the games in the Pac-12 season evolved, you could tell they weren't the same team. At that point, it became, we'll get into the tournament, maybe they can win a game. What do you think is the threshold right now for ASU to sort of validate their season in the tournament? Is just being there enough, or do they have to win a game or more to, to kind of validate things? I think they have to win a game. I think they have to win this game, go to Michigan, uh, because and, and no matter what happens there, I think if they if they win here on Wednesday, then you could say you you had a good season. Uh, people expected at the beginning of the season that you were going to be a bubble team. Well. Yeah, granted, it took a crazy, <laughs> it was, it was, <laughs> a, it was path. to get to this point. But I think if you win a game, that's something that you can sell to your fans and say, hey, look, we won a game in the NCAA tournament. That's something to build on. Uh, and, and, and just maybe gives them a little bit of momentum through the offseason. TCU, if we can just quickly uh, talk about that for a second. I know we're getting ahead of ourselves, but if they do beat Syracuse, which, which I think is a big if, but if they do beat Syracuse, 
TCU. Jamie Dixon, the head coach at TCU. This is kind of an interesting tournament with guys like Rick Barnes and Jamie Dixon and a couple of other guys popping up at locations you may have forgot about. But uh, he's turned that program around. They're not a formidable team, but uh, and Jamie Dixon doesn't have a great track record in the NCAA tournament, but um, they're a pretty good Big 12 team this year. Yeah, and, you know, he's he's really ahead of schedule. I mean, he's kind of like Bobby, I think. Yeah. They have, he has TCU ahead of schedule right now. And, you know, they I think ASU matches up with TCU definitely a lot better than they do um, Syracuse. So, you know, maybe you get in that game and, you know, you it's more a, a pace and a style to your liking, or at least to ASU's liking. But, um, you know, it'll, it'll, that will be interesting. I, I think if they, if they can get past this game, then I think, and just talking to a lot of people around ASU today, I think they would feel a little bit, they feel a little bit more comfortable about that game than they do <laughs> what's going to unfold on Wednesday, just because of the zone. But uh, you know, like I said, I think ASU matches up well with TCU. I was buying ASU stock all season. By the end of the year, it wasn't worth the paper it was printed on. I'm I'm not going to abandon them in the NCAA <laughs> tournament. I think I think they will beat Syracuse. I think they've got a very good chance to beat TCU. And then I think Michigan State likely just annihilates them. In De- I mean, just beats the crap out of them in Detroit. I mean, that's that's yeah. not a good matchup at all for ASU. No, when 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 I saw the brackets, I tweeted out that it's not a bad draw for ASU, and someone shot back at me like, "Are you kidding? They have Michigan State. Uh, they get into playing Michigan State and in Michigan." And I'm like, "No, nah, I'm not talking about that." <laughs> I mean, right, right. I was, talking, I was just talking about the first two games. The first two right. games are winnable. Uh, you know, after that, then you know, whatever. I mean, I, I don't see them getting past that, but you know, I do think they have two winnable games. It, it's just like it's just funny that. Uh, you know, we've kind of come from full circle with this team. You know, they started as a bubble team. Here they are now. And now they kind of have to face their demons uh, playing the best zone defense in the country. Well, I don't know. We'll see. The good, I mean, I don't know if I mentioned that. You know, Syracuse doesn't have any depth. They only have, they're only going to address seven scholarship guys tomorrow. So if it's foul trouble, the way the game is called, you know, all that could be a factor. Not that ASU has the greatest depth, but, um, you know, all that stuff, the game, the way the game is officiated, uh, that could benefit ASU possibly as well. Yeah, they've got a second lease on life the Sun Devils do, and uh, they've got to take advantage of it. Otherwise, if they lose to Syracuse, it it goes down as a bummer of a season, regardless of the heights they reached earlier in the year. So uh, I would be very surprised if they didn't play a different energy level given this second lease on their season. But we'll find out uh, tomorrow night from Dayton. Uh, and, of course, you can read all the coverage and, and everything you need with Doug, AZ Central Sports, and on Twitter, at Doug Haller. All right, you want to talk some uh, U of A now as a uh, four seed in the uh, region of death, as they're calling it? <laughs> the Wildcats. Uh, you know, Joey, we've been talking, at least I've been talking uh, on our podcast, how everyone's been calling them Final Four contenders, and I haven't seen it. Well, I saw it. I saw it in Las yeah. Vegas. Yeah. Uh, I, I was impressed. I thought, I mean, outside of DeAndre Aiden, who was a monster, you know, that first game against Colorado, I thought – they were scrappier than I, I than they've than I've ever seen an Arizona team be. I asked uh, Raleigh Hawkins in the locker room after the game. I said, "Has anyone ever described this team? Have you ever heard anybody describe this team as scrappy?" And he goes, "Scrappy? No, I don't think so. I thought you know I thought they played with a with an energy, and I thought they were active. Uh, you know, I thought they played in a way that I haven't seen them play uh, very often this season. I, I haven't seen it at all from them. I mean, this was a different team in Vegas. They played with energy, intensity, looseness. You could tell there was a joy to their playing that has yeah. been missing all year, and you finally saw the full... What what I thought we really saw in Vegas was that all of the individual talent 
seemed to come together and work harmoniously. It wasn't a series of individual parts functioning independent of each other, as impressive as they were. It was a unit, and I haven't seen that from Arizona all year, and I agree. I mean, I, I do think the proverbial switch was flipped in that first game, and I don't think they looked back. I know they went to overtime against UCLA. That game probably didn't need to go to overtime. They shut them out in OT. But this was a different team, and I, I think people across the country are sort of falling victim. It's interesting, Doug, because like at the beginning of the year, we talked about the podcast Maybe into January, the entire country was sort of still breathlessly talking about Arizona as one of the best teams in the country. And you and I were kind of like, ah, I mean, they're winning games, but I don't really see why this would be a Final Four team. And then people kind of forgot about it because it's the Pac-12 and there was nothing really of note going on in the Pac-12, apparently. <laughs> and, and now people are sort of reacting to Arizona. Again, maybe a month too late, kind of, they, they love DeAndre Ayton, but there isn't a ton of love for U of A, which I think is the right thing. And granted, the FBI and ESPN allegation is is really what people think of now when they think of Arizona. It gets brought up every preview show, every analyst. But this team's playing their best basketball of the season, and I don't think it's particularly close. No, I agree with you. And I know DeAndre Aiden got a lot of the credit um, in Vegas, but I thought Parker Jackson yes. Cartwright was really good as well. Yeah, he he should have been on the all tournament team. I don't know how he wasn't, but you know, defensively, the way he played against Aaron Holiday against UCLA, uh, I think Holiday had 17 points, but you know, he had to work for them. And you know, I thought he played really well. You know, Trier, I thought, uh, with the exception of that one break, I think it was against Colorado where he had Raleigh trailing a wide open <laughs> Raleigh Hawkins right behind him, and he didn't dump it off. Um, I thought he played well. You know, and then DeAndre Aiden was just. You know, and we we've talked about him from the from the get go about how good he is, but I he took it to a higher level. He I did. thought, Dodie, and it, it was kind of interesting to see everybody nationally kind of jump on board yep. with that. It's like, where, what have you guys been watching? <laughs> I mean, right. I mean, th- there were clear signs of that throughout the regular season, and you know, it just to me, there was no no one had any answers for him in Vegas. Not that they ever had before, but. I think I think U of A did a better job of feeding him, not forgetting about him in stretches like they have in the past. To me, he looks like a guy that can that can put a team on his back and carry them deep into into this tournament. They're still inexplicably one of the worst post entry passing teams I've ever seen in my life. Like it's <laughs> without fail, every game Arizona three or four entry passes that don't even have a chance to get to DeAndre, and then you're like, how is this happening? I don't understand at this stage of the season how they haven't figured out something as simple as an entry pass, or at least sometimes, you know, you make a pass on the perimeter to change the angle of the entry pass, but it, it's crazy. But I agree. I think Aiton took it to the next level. I think you're absolutely right about Parker Jackson Cartwright. To me, he was the difference. He he was, and he is the difference between Arizona losing in the second round to Kentucky and Arizona being a Final Four team. If Parker Jackson Cartwright plays with that level of confidence, that level of tenacity, defensively and decision-making offensively, it is the missing ingredient that we've been watching this team struggle with all year, which is uh, above-average point guard play. And uh, good for him. It's just you got to do that in the NCAA tournament. And I think that's the biggest question for Arizona. Um, You know, Raleigh Alkins, I think, is playing better than he has at any point this season. And Trier's kind of settling into a role, so it, it seems to be falling into place at the right time. This is a little conspiratorial, but do you think, 
obviously the USC exclusion, Oklahoma State exclusion, Louisville exclusion. Do you think Arizona's four seed and and easily the toughest draw of any four seed in the conference in the tournament, at least on paper? Do you think a U of A was in any way sort of punished in in a sort of reasonable way by the selection committee for their involvement in that FBI case? Yeah, I've heard a lot of people talk about that. I think it makes sense. Uh, I mean, think about if you're the NCAA. The last thing you want, and I think we mentioned this on a previous podcast, is for Arizona to make the Final Four, and then the FBI investigation becomes the theme, the right. main storyline of the Final Four. That I, mean, I think you would, I, and it happened a little bit last year with North Carolina making it in their academic investigation, but it it just seems like everything matches up with that, and because it, it's going to happen everywhere Arizona goes. It happened in Vegas. People were there trying to ask Sean Miller questions about it. Um, I don't know. It, it just seems like that's kind of what the way it all shapes up. It would not surprise me if that's, if that's what uh, they were thinking about. Can you imagine, and I know this is very, very premature, but can you imagine if Arizona does get to the Final Four and just the sheer awkwardness of the press conference and media availability, like ESPN is <laughs> going to have reporters there. Every college basketball outlet in the country is going to have reporters there. Everyone's going to ask, and Sean's going to try to use you. You know, he's, I've, I, I saw... The Vegas question, I saw a Cronkite reporter asked him uh, yesterday, similarly, how he was going to deal with it, and he's got his canned answer, but people are going to dig, and and I, I think it's just going to be, if that happens, it's going to be such an interesting dynamic, and of course, the wild card in it all, Doug, would be, does Mark Schlebaugh show up at a U of A, Sean Miller uh, press conference availability, and we just have like the ultimate showdown between Schlebaugh and Sean Miller? That I would sign up for. Well, I would think he has to be there, wouldn't he? I mean, if I that's would think your so. Story, yeah, I think he has to be there, and he's got to um, ask some questions, right? Yeah, I think I think you have to be there. You know, and Sean is going to. You know, it was awkward. He was asked about it in Vegas, and I, I get it. I mean, I understand it's been part of you know what we do for a living as journalists. But you know, it's, I think the local reporters who have covered the story have moved past the, the initial right. day one, day two, day three of the story. But you know. Everybody who comes to the second round or the first round, the regional or the final four, you know, they're covering it for the first time. So they're going to ask those questions. You know, the players handled themselves very well. DeAndre Aiden answered a few questions about it. I mean, he pretty much said it was, it was all foolishness, um, the report from the get go. And, you know, they all asked questions about or answer questions about how they've handled it. But, you know, this, this, is, this is just beginning. It's, it's not going to end. It, every, the deeper they go, the bigger the storyline is going to become. Um, you know, for better or worse. I mean, I guess Arizona would gladly take that trade off, but uh, it's not going away, not at all. Let's let's talk about this Buffalo matchup for Arizona Thursday night. Uh, Buffalo, uh, you know, obviously the former school of Bobby Hurley. They've been tournament tested the last few years. Looking at their schedule, they lose to Cincinnati, they lose to uh, South Dakota State, they lost to Saint Bonaventure, they lost to Syracuse, they lost to Texas A&M. Pretty much every team on their schedule that made the NCAA tournament, they lost to. Their their uh, really their meal ticket came in conference play. They were fifteen and three overall. Um, I don't. I, I think Arizona. I mean, the minimum expectation should be that Arizona beats Buffalo. And in fact, Kent, given the talent of DeAndre Ayton alone, I think you can make a case that if Arizona lost to Buffalo, even with the cloud of scandal around FBI, it may be. The most disappointing first-round loss Arizona said. I know Santa Clara was massively disappointing. 
I know a lot of those early ones with Lute Olsen were massively disappointing. But like with DeAndre Ayton in this climate of college basketball, they got to beat Buffalo. Period. They do. Uh, I don't. I don't see it happening. I know Buff, uh, Buffalo is talented offensively, but it, it, I would be stunned. But <laughs> again, you know, like I said, it, it, this time of year, obviously anything can happen. Right. That's a cliche. But you know, with Arizona, you know, for a while you just didn't know what to expect on a on a week to week basis. You didn't on really any team uh, in the Pac-12, even though they were winning, uh, they didn't always look the part. I, I don't know. I, I maybe it's because. You know, in the Pac-12 tournament, you could go in the locker room and you see a little bit of a. There's a little bit of a different vibe, and you think, and you go into the post-game press conference in Tucson, and it's kind of, you know, set up a little bit where they pick the players you mm-hmm. talk to, and you see Sean Miller, and Sean, you know, can be, although he's very honest all the time, you know, he, you know, he's not, he's not really excited. But maybe when, maybe it's just the, the difference is that you've seen them in the locker room, and and, and you see maybe. A, them enjoying themselves a little bit more that changed my opinion on them. But, um, you know, I expect them to cruise. I, you know, I think they're doing a better job of getting the ball inside, uh, whether it's the Doosan or um, DeAndre. So, you know, I, I think I think they're going to – I think they're set up to win that one easily. But, like I said, who knows? Kentucky would be a possible second-round matchup. Now, they would have to beat Davidson, and we're assuming things, as you mentioned, the most unpredictable sporting event we have. But, I mean, Kentucky I, – I can't figure out – I want to pick Arizona in the Final Four. I don't think I'm lucky enough, not as a U of A alum, but just as a media member. To me, that's just the that would be an incredible talk radio subject for a week that I don't think I'm lucky enough to get. But I I think they're I think that I think they could beat Virginia. I do. I mean, why, I, can't, why can't why can't you have good things, Jody? I don't. Things. Well, I I I I ask myself that question every day. I don't know. I think the world's against me. But um, yeah, I mean, I I I do think. I could see Kentucky beat them in the second round. I could see them getting to the Final Four. They're a really tough team to peg. I don't have much of a sense of direction for their path in the tournament. I really don't. Well, let, let me explain something as a as a journalist and maybe what we do in this business that I don't think people understand. People, obviously, when you're a beat writer for any team in the country, whether it's Arizona State, Arizona, uh, Ohio State, Villanova, you're always accused of being a homer, that right. you want them to win. That's not true. As any, as a storyteller, as a radio analyst, as a radio host, as a journalist, you root for the story. Correct. I mean, that's what you do. You root whatever could put you in the best position to write the best story or you know to form the best opinion, whatever it may be. You, that's what you're pulling for. Or and sometimes with the late game, you're you're pulling for a quick contest. <laughs> you know, early kickoff, whatever, a quick contest. But Arizona getting to the Final Four under everything that they've gone through this year. Uh, Sean Miller's future still, despite being cleared of, by the school anyway, uh, of the ESPN report, I think you could still make an argument that his future is kind of cloudy. Uh, it would be a, a tremendous story on a lot of different levels. So, you know, I, I, that's, that's my thought on it. I mean, whether or not they can get by Buffalo, I think they can. Can they beat Kentucky? Even though Kentucky just played probably its best basketball in the SEC tournament, I think they can. Um, after that, who knows? <laughs> but uh, I just think it would be just a very, very interesting story to, f- to follow throughout this uh, tournament if they can get there, just because there are just so many different elements to it. That's a great point. Everyone always asks me, like, who do you root for? Who's your team? I'm like, I root for interesting. That's all I care about. Right. That's all I, <laughs> I, mean, I No matter how it happens, I just want interesting because that makes more interesting of a show or for an art, uh, an article. I mean, like that's what I am a I am a diehard 
lifelong fan of interesting. That's it. Yeah, and I've never been tested in that regard in covering the Suns for the last three months of last season because <laughs> I went into it knowing they were had no chance of making the playoffs, and I went into it every day thinking, like, what am I going to write today? <laughs> because, you know, they weren't winning, so you just tried to find And it really is good training for, for a journalist to cover a losing team because it, it forces you to try to find something that people will click on or want to know about. Uh, that was great training for me. Yeah. <laughs> it was a long three months, but it was great training. Can I speak to the Suns real quick? Can I just think mention real quick that Aaron Holiday may be a great fit for the Phoenix Suns, and they're one of their two or three uh, uh, first round draft picks. Like that, that's a. I think Aaron Holiday is going to be a very solid NBA point guard. Yeah, I think he's. I think he's a first round draft pick, and I I'm not sure. I haven't looked at the draft boards uh, in a while. What people are, you know, the mock draft boards, what people are, are saying or or predicting. But I think he's going to be a good NBA player. I think he might end up being the best Holiday, and you know, I, yeah. I say that you know, Drew Holiday's had a you know had a very uh, strong NBA career so far. But I, I think he just keeps getting better and better. Any uh, any any last thoughts from Dayton, Ohio? Do you want to reveal your Final Four predictions? You want to uh, talk any more about Dayton and and do a little uh, Chamber of Commerce a bit on it? <laughs> Well, I will reveal my Final Four predictions. I did them very quickly this morning without – I didn't really go into a lot of research looking at Ken Palm stuff or anything like that. Uh, but I picked Purdue. I've always liked Purdue throughout the yes. season. I picked Duke, even though they make, they, make, they, they make me a little nervous. Um, I did pick Arizona because, like I said, the, the, the DeAndre Ayton that I saw – uh, in Vegas, to me, looks like he could put together a Danny Manning-type performance and carry them for a while. And then, uh, I forget which bracket it was, but I knew I had to go with a a higher seed or a lower seed, depending on which way you look at it. I went with Texas A&M um, as a seven seed because wow. I know I know somebody's going to crash the party. They always do, especially as crazy. It might even be more than that, uh, or it might even be more than one team this year, uh, just given the way how crazy the season's been. But, uh, you know, I don't like the way Texas A&M played pretty much after they left Phoenix that night uh, when they gave Arizona a game. But, uh, you know, at times they've looked really good, so that's what I'm going with. I'm, I'm bummed you stole my Purdue Thunder, man. I've got, I've got U of A, uh, I've got Gonzaga, a U of A Gonzaga matchup in the Final Four. I think Gonzaga is the most overlooked team in the country this year. Uh, I can't figure them out. I can't figure, I mean, yeah, they, they, they're the typical Gonzaga team that yeah. I always undervalue because of the, the conference they play in, and then they end up, you know, turn it on like, wow, they were legit. And and good news for Arizona is that Virginia just lost their sixth man. DeAndre Hunter is is done for the tournament with a broken wrist, so that's going to be a. Uh, and that news just came down a little bit ago, but uh, Virginia's going to be an important man down. They're a deep good team, but I think that any any advantage U of A or Kentucky could possibly exploit against Virginia would be would be important. So I, I got U of A Gonzaga on that side. On the other side, I've got Purdue and Michigan State. I think it'll be a, a Big Ten rematch in the Final Four. I think Michigan State, Jaron Jackson may be the best player in college that nobody really talks about. He's just a, a monster, a defensive big man that can also shoot the threes. He's a prototypical NBA big man, but um, I, I love Purdue. I think they're they're a really good team, and Matt Painter, I think, is a really good coach. He hasn't had a ton of tournament success, but those are the four teams I've got in in my initial Final Four, so we'll see how, how any, it all works out. Any any sleepers? Um, not really. You know, my my thought generally is that I think the one seeds are going to struggle. I think two through five seeds this year are most of those teams are just as good as the one seeds. Um, but I don't think any 
you know, higher seeded teams are good enough to break through. I do think New Mexico State is going to win a game or two um, in, in on their side of the bracket. I think they could win a game or two. Yeah, I had. I think I have New Mexico State in the Sweet Sixteen. Um, I think I picked Loyola to win a game. Yeah, and I I know Tennessee's a a higher seed, but I have them. I have them winning for for a few games as well. I, but I, yeah, I kind of expect chalk until the elite eight, and then I kind of think there'll be some some lower seeds pulling off the upsets. Which which number one seed do you have going out first? Xavier. I think Xavier's yeah. gone possibly in the second round. Um, I think they'll fall victim to the same thing, the same trap Gonzaga fell victim to when they were that one seed, which is it's such a pinnacle for a school like Xavier to be a one seed. They're not really built to withstand the pressure of that one seed. And that second round matchup, I don't know if Michael Porter is is in good enough game shape to get Missouri to the second round. They lost to Georgia, so I don't know how much stock to put that in, but I could see that 8-9. I think it's Florida State and, and uh, is the other team against Missouri, I could see that 8-9 game being a problem for Xavier in the second round. Yeah, I agree with you. I, I Before I even saw the bracket, I was you know, thinking, like, I, I think Xavier's going out in the second round. But the only, I didn't do it just because I didn't like the Missouri-Florida State. Yeah. I didn't like those 8-9 teams as much as I thought. But um, I, I can definitely see that, yeah. They would play Gonzaga in the uh, Sweet 16, and that's, I think, ultimately my bracket where I've got them losing. But I don't think it'll be... You know, if you're a one seed, getting bounced before the Elite Eight's kind of a kind of a disappointing finish, isn't it? Yeah, no question. No All right. question. All right, man. Anything else we got to cover in this uh, pre-tournament edition of the Two Man Weave? No, I mean, I was just I was just leaving uh, Dayton Arena, and I was like, why is everyone showing up? I mean, it just <laughs> I, I, I didn't realize there's actually <laughs> games tonight. There's actually games tonight. UCLA plays in a couple hours, and it's just oh, uh, I'm glad yeah, I, I've got I've got UCLA in the Sweet Sixteen. Wow. I, That's I, I I fell uh, I fell under their spell a little bit with Holiday and Thomas Welsh. I think they'll beat St. Bonaventure. I think they'll win a game, and uh, I've I've got them in the Sweet Sixteen. There, I can see that happening. I mean, you have Holiday and Welsh. I mean, that, those are two really strong upperclassmen, and then Chris Wilkes, their freshman, uh, is really coming on. I think he's playing well. You know, after that, you know, it gets a little shaky in places. They got some big guys who have played well for them in spurts, but I could see them. I think Aaron Holiday is another guy who can who can win some games in this tournament. Yeah, it should be fun. Well, we'll look forward to all the coverage uh, from you on ASU Syracuse. If if ASU gets bounced, are you covering the tournament in any other capacity, or will you be coming back until the Final Four? I assume. If Arizona State loses, I am right now scheduled to go to, if Arizona advances, I will be going with them to Atlanta. So that will be what I'm doing. Um, Look at and you. And following them as for as long as they're alive, I guess. You're like a pioneer, man. Some, no one has pulled off the trifecta of Vegas, Dayton, and Atlanta <laughs> successfully in human history. You may be a, a test case of how the human body reacts to those three very different physical locations. Yeah, well, I don't think my ASU followers on Twitter appreciate the whole U of A side of things, <laughs> but <laughs> right, uh, I think right. I think that a lot of most of them have accepted that this is what you know I've been doing, and you know our podcast as well. You know, I think I told you I don't know if I told you on the podcast, but at the ASU U of A game, um, the last one in Tempe, I actually had ASU fans and U of A fans come up and compliment us All on right. the podcast. So uh, evidently, we we people are listening. That's that's a shock to me, but I'll take it. I, I half of me believes you're just making that up to make me feel better, but uh, I will take you at your word as a, as a real journalist. 
all right, man, well, I guess I should probably uh, make my way through the snow and, and find some place to eat or something. You got it. Well, be safe out there and uh, appreciate it. For uh, Doug Howler, AZ Central Sports, azcentral.com, on Twitter at Doug Howler. I'm Jody Ayler, host of The Drive on Fox Sports 910 Phoenix, on Twitter at Radio J-O-D-Y. Thank you for listening to another edition of the Two Men We Podcast.